Joseph, we're in Genesis chapter 47, if you would turn there. I don't have to ask. I know probably the majority of you have had what you would call in your thinking a crisis in life. Now, if you ask some politician, their crisis is not getting elected, which pray, we pray many of them won't get elected. But, uh, but that's not a crisis. I guess it could create some crises, couldn't it? Uh, but we've all faced situations in life where uh, we weren't sure maybe what to do. Isn't it a blessing to have someone in the family, someone that, yeah, they're going through the crisis, but they know how to handle the crisis. They're not letting the crisis destroy them. In fact, when all this storm is raging in, in your life situation, they're calm. They have faith in God. Well, that's what I see in, in Joseph. My, he faced one crisis after another after another. You think about, he, he was a man who knew how to handle himself in difficult times, in difficult situations. His mother died when he was young. He, his family was uh, full of turmoil and just constant upheaval, jealousy and hatred, betrayal. They sold him into slavery. I mean, they wanted to kill him, his own brothers. And he, uh, he, when he got to Egypt there, he was lied about. He was falsely imprisoned. He, then he had an opportunity to get out, and he was forgotten. I don't know how many years he spent in there. But finally, he, suddenly, he went from being a prisoner to the prime minister of Egypt. An amazing story. And then, then he is facing an, another kind of crisis. Egypt is, not only Egypt, but the whole known world at that time was facing a, a famine. And, and how to deal with this. Um, and, and, you know, we are dealing with things in our society. Uh, inflation comes to the top of our minds when we are, you know, buying things, just trying to survive, and, and all the things that seem to be working against us. But can you imagine facing this kind of crisis where everything was going to be just destroyed? All the crops, they wouldn't be able to have any crops, their livestock, everything was going to die. And so Joseph was told by God what was going to happen, was told by God how to handle it. You see, the reason Joseph was calm, cool, and collective because he was trusting in God. And I'm just saying as an, a, a, a real testimony unto God, when we face the trials and the troubles of life, we can be, maybe inside we're fearful, but we have a faith in God. We know that he is going to see us through this. We know that he is in control. And so we, we take encouragement from the life of Joseph here this morning. We're, we're allowed to, to witness um, how the Lord was able to help Joseph prevent a real crisis uh, in Egypt here. And so we get some, maybe step some tips or skill on how to handle crisis in our life. And so we'll read this passage here in Genesis 47. Look with me at verse, oh, we'll start reading there at verse 13. And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the uh, corn which they brought, and Joseph brought the money into the Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt, 
and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you uh, for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for homes and for the flocks and for the cattle and the herds for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. <clears throat> and when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds and of, of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and uh, our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptian, Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, so that the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priests bought he not, for the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh had gave them. Wherefore they sold not their land. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Uh, here is, lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own. For seed of the field, and for your food, and for uh, them of your households, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt <clears throat> unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into this passage this morning, teach us, guide us, and may we walk away here this morning, this morning with uh, gleaning some truths from this passage that will help us to be a better servant for you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we see here with Joseph, in all, with all of his skill that God has given him and preparing him, how to handle the crisis in his personal life enabled him to handle this crisis, this national crisis. And it's chapter 42 through chapter 47. It's kind of a parentheses passage, and we're not going to get into that this morning. But as we pick up this story here, uh, with Joseph, we see the, the verses that in, in chapter 47 are kind of a recap of what happened in chapter 41. And we, again, for the sake of time, we won't go back and read it, but if you'll take time to read chapter 41, the latter part of that chapter, you'll see where the people are hungry and they go to Pharaoh uh, for help. And what was his advice? Exactly what he said in Genesis 41, 55, go unto Joseph. What he saith to you, do. People came to him and said, hey, Pharaoh, we're, we're, uh, it's a drought. He said, what do we do? He said, go to Joseph. He's got the answers. He'll tell you whatever he tells you, do. And that, that's 
people did, and they survived this famine as a result of their obedience. And they uh, uh, were brought to the end of themselves through all of this, and they, they had no resources at all, but they turned to Joseph. They knew there was no future for them without Joseph. I mean, you think about the position that Joseph is in. Everyone is looking to him for their life. And, uh, and Joseph has the answers. He took control. Think about this. He took control of their money, their purses. And, and so they brought, they paid for the grain that he had been storing up because God warned him this, this uh, famine was coming. And so everyone now becomes on the same level. Uh, there were no wealthy people now that could say, well, we're better. or we, you know, we're, we're going, They had to bring everything. And when that money ran out, then their possessions, the cattle, the herds they brought and gave for grain. And Joseph took control of their property. They gave their land when they had no money and no more other things to give. And, and uh, so Joseph, not only that, he took control of their, their, their being. They didn't have anything to give but said, hey, Joseph, we'll give ourselves. And we will serve Pharaoh. And that's exactly what uh, Joseph did. He... Uh, he brought these people out of the uh, countrysides around and brought them all into the city, and he took control of their positions in doing so. So, you know, this reminds me in a bit or in a way of our relationship with Jesus Christ. When you and I came to Jesus Christ, we should be, have the attitude, God, I, I am yours. You can have it all. And we're totally dependent upon him you remember joseph is a type of christ in the old testament and you will see christ in his life over and over again and i think this is one of these uh uh types here and at the end of, uh, of the famine everything in egypt was under the throne's control and when you come to christ he is not only your savior but he should be your lord where everything in your life is under his control and you're allowing you're wanting to glorify him through everything that you have and everything you do. And so this is um, a, a great picture here that we see in the life of Joseph. And, you know, God doesn't even ask us to, uh, you know, they talk about Joseph taking 20%. Wouldn't that be nice if our government only took 20%? Boy, between all the taxes and everything else they throw at us. But some people would criticize that and say, well, uh, Joseph was controlling the people. Well, God told him to do that. This is a picture of spiritually how we are to be in our relationship with Christ. He is in control. And so it's not, Lord, this is what I am going to do. Lord, is this what you want to do is the response. Is this your will for my life? Thy will be done. And our money, it's not mine, it's, it's God's. So therefore, how can I glorify God after I have taken care of all the necessities of life and there's ex excess, how, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Lord, what do you want me to do with my time? And see, everything is given over to him. And so the, in, in this passage, Joseph is a, a picture of Christ and the same advice that Pharaoh gave the people when they said, hey, what do we do? They said, go see Joseph. Do whatever he tells you to do. That same advice uh, was given regarding Jesus Christ. You remember at that wedding when they uh, were out of the wine, they didn't know what to do, 
and they came to Mary, and, and she said, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. We're supposed to be as Christians. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we called upon him for salvation, to, to be whatever he says, that's what I want to do. I want to do his will. And so in Egypt, Joseph's desire was to bring everything under his control because without that, there was going to be anarchy. There was going to be the ruin of a nation. And so they, they would literally tear themselves apart during that famine if they did not have that consolidated power. And again, illustrating spiritually how it should be in our lives. Christian, you have no right to say, I will do whatever I please. I have no right to say that. I should have the attitude, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Is this, what is your will for my life? And so we, uh, Jesus desires to control your life. He's not going to force himself on you. You can say, well, I know more than Lord Jesus. I know better. I know what's better for myself. No, you don't. Not at all. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows what's best for you. And so you and I will never go wrong if we say yes to the will of God. And so are, are there areas of your life, maybe I, we see the lives of these Egyptians who um, Joseph took the control of their money, their possessions, their property, their, even their beings, their, their position. How about spiritually today? Does the Lord have control of every aspect of your life? I would dare say that most of us, if we're honest, say, boy, there are some areas I need to kind of relinquish my authority and my power and submit to God's will in. But um, does he have your money? Does he have your, your possessions, your property? I remember uh, as a teenager, I, I still love cars, but I had a love for cars. And if I had the money, I would have probably had one of those muscle cars. I just love those things. And it, I didn't need that at all. But I remember my brother let me borrow one, and it had the side pipes, and it really rumbled, you know. And I went on visitation with that car. And, boy, I'll tell you, you've got a lot of kids coming from everywhere just to see that. And I'd rev the engine, and I thought, that's so neat. See, Lord, this is what I needed. I could draw the crowd. But uh, that wasn't in the, the making. What I'm, I'm getting to is I love cars. My first car was a 1976 Ford Elite. Really fancy. Oh, it was nice. It was nice. And, uh, for a Ford, I know. <laughs> and, but that's what uh, I, I remember my first car, and I, wanted, I polished it and kept it clean. I never left anything on the dash, and I didn't want things lying in the car. Uh, even the trunk, I wanted it clean. The engine, I wanted it clean. And uh, then I went to college. Because that was right when I got the car, I went right off to college. And, and I, the Lord began to teach me some lessons. I need to understand that's not my car. That's his. And so I said, okay, Lord, you're right. Because I would get upset. You know, here I would maybe some kids in, and they'd mess it up. And then we'd go on visitation, and I'd have a bunch of guys in there, and they, they'd do something, they'd kind of mess it up. You know, I wanted it spotless. And I'm like, don't touch the car. It wasn't a fancy car, but to me, it, to me it was. And so anyway, uh, I got under conviction. I said, okay, Lord, I, it's yours. And I can remember what peaceful, 
peace that brought over me. I mean, I, I brought a load full of teenagers and, and young people uh, in that car. And, 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 you know, these are inner city kids, black kids, who had all that uh, grease in their hair. And it was all over the windows back then. You could hardly see out the back window. But it didn't, it didn't uh, I, I didn't get upset uh, because I knew this is your car, Lord. And, and uh, so I was going to give it to him to use for his glory. That's just one example. Does God have everything in your life? Are you clinging to something saying, God, you can have this part of my life, but as for this, I'm going to hang on to it. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of peace and joy when you learn to just let God have his way. And so these principles for living here are seen in this chapter here, how a better servant and how we can deal with crisis. You know, crisis are, they're no respecter of persons. In other words, what I'm saying here, everybody goes through a crisis in some time or another in life. And so when the famine came to Egypt, it came to everyone. Not the Egyptians, it came to everybody. And that's why Joseph's family eventually came down to Egypt because they were experiencing the famine. So the poor, the rich, they didn't matter how much money they had, they also were affected by the famine. Even the royalty were affected by this crisis. And so the same is true in our lives today. Every person in the world is affected by a crisis of some sort at one time or another. And we, we have almost worn out the words of Job as his suffering. And, and, you know, we've almost worn out the words of Jesus talking about the sufferings of life. And we, uh, we may compare our situation with one of those. But it may seem that we, had, we, we move from one crisis to another. And we just get through one and think, boy, now I can rest. And boom, something else happens. And, and no one gets out of this world without going through some crisis situations. And so that was um, Solomon, the wisest man that ever walked this earth. He said this. Uh, he, he saw life in this way, Ecclesiastes 2.17. Therefore, I hated life. Boy, what a pessimist. He says, I hated life. Why? Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Maybe you can relate with those words. Then he says in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun. For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. Solomon knew what it was to go through some crisis, and he was a little depressed as he looked at life and saw without, without God, that is the, the outlook of life. You know, Christian, listen, you and I, we have such an advantage. If, if you are walking with God, you can have that joy, that peace, that gentleness, that, that those, those uh, fruits of the Spirit we talked about in Sunday school. And you can have, they're real and, 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 and will be transformative in your life. But without God, all is vanity. Without God, there is no hope. Well, so no respecter of persons. Also, crisis has caused us to rethink our, our, uh, our purposes. 
when we're going through a crisis, it has one or two things can happen. It can cause us to look up. And then because of that, we begin to rethink everything else we're doing in life. Or we can get mad and blame God. Well, let me, let me just suggest to you that the first response is the best for you. The latter gets you nowhere. And so here, you know, when this crisis came to Egypt, the people were told to do something. Go to Joseph. Whatever he says do, do it. And that's what, um, what they did. And so the people of Egypt had just one purpose from that point on. And that this one purpose, this one duty, what was it? To obey Joseph. Let me break it down for you, Christian. It's not trying to figure everything out in life and what are we going to do. There's just one thing. What, what did Paul say? This one thing I do. Talking about the will of God. That's it. Finding the will of God and doing the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. There we are. We'll find the fulfillment in our life. We'll find that satisfaction, that joy, that purpose in life. Christian, it is sad to see the unsaved walking around this world without a purpose in their life. With, because they're lost. They're without God. But I think it's even sadder for a believer who has all these advantages to still wander around like they have no purpose because they are not obeying Jesus Christ. They're not obeying his word, and therefore they lose sight of their purpose. So it, sometimes it takes, this, takes a crisis in our life to um, remind us, why are we here? You know, what are we supposed to be doing? And so sometimes we, because of this world, all the things going on, we just lose sight or we lose focus on what our priorities should be and, and uh, what our purpose is. And so save our first and foremost responsibility, duty, call it what you will, is to do God's will, to do exactly what he says. And by the way, he doesn't leave us in the dark. He gives us the manual here, what his will is, is for our lives. And so read the, the manual, read the word of God, and you will then discover what he wants you to do. And so rethinking our purposes. The bottom line is our main duty is to do whatever, whatever he wants. Um, no one wants to come to the end of life and say, boy, I sure wish I had lived my life another way. Too late. No one wants to come to the end of life and say, I wish I had done something else in my life. I wish I had done something more for God. And so whether we're in a crisis or not, we need to ask some questions here this morning. What am I doing? What does God want me to do? And am I being responsible? Am I being obedient to him? Well, then to rethink our purpose, this crisis also can cause us to reevaluate our priorities. When the crisis here came to Egypt, when this famine uh, came, suddenly things like money, possessions, lands, power, position, they didn't mean as much. And in fact, they meant nothing to these people. They wanted to, to live. They wanted to survive. I said, what good is my money if I'm going to die? What good is my land if I'm going to die? We just need food. You, you see, 
when we have that, and, and sometimes that's what happens when the trials come in our life, when the crisis comes. It helps us to focus in our, our, what our priorities are. That we need to have that uh, relationship with God. And we need that, that uh, what, what good is life if we're living this in this world acting as if God does not exist? I, I'm not talking to an unsaved person. There are born-again Christians who live their life as if God is not alive. Or if God has no say on your life. Well, you're never going to find happiness. You're never going to find peace in that with that attitude. And sometimes it's when we're flat on our back and we only have can look up is when we realize, God, I need you. I I need to submit to your will. And what else, what good is it if I have all these things? Well, for the unsaved, what does the Bible say? What good is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And Christian, what good is it to live in this world and not take advantage of what God has given us? That fellowship, that, that uh, uh, guidance and direction. And so these people needed help. They could not get anywhere except from Joseph. And let me say, Christian, you and I, we need help that we can't get anywhere except from Jesus. And so depend on him. And we move through life that, they, they, you know, we sometimes focus on things that don't really matter. It's not, when we, when we stand before God, it's not going to matter how much money we made. It's not going to matter how much, uh, uh, you know, we had for retirement. It's not going to ma matter what kind of car we had, what kind of home we had, what kind of, and all those things. Nothing wrong with those things. I'm just saying, when we stand before God, all of a sudden we are going to be focused. And the only thing that really matters is what we have done for him. That's what, that's it. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that's what's going to matter, what you did for Jesus. So people who uh, put their jobs ahead and their families and, you know, they, uh, they've lost, they, they're losing focus. People who put the their recreation ahead of the marriage, whether it be hunting, fishing, any kind of recreation, sports. I, I've shared this before years ago. In Michigan, there was a guy, we went to visit him, and he was in Hawaii. His wife and children were there, didn't have any food. What was he doing in Hawaii? He was following his football team, the Michigan, um, the, the, what is not Michigan State, but the uh, Wolverines. Is that, am I right on that? Michigan Wolverines. I should know because his entire house was painted uh, like the Michigan Wolverines. Painted his entire house. I think his car also was painted that way. And he was spending all kinds of money following that football team everywhere they went. Nothing wrong with football, but that guy was extreme. And to the neglect of his family, his children were hungry. We were bringing them food. And, and, and he was, I'm just say, saying that a crisis oftentimes will get us to reevaluate our priorities. And we'll see what we are, are investing our life in is not important unless it's to his glory. And so a crisis has the power to cause us to rethink some things uh, that are most important. Because I assure you, what we really think is important right now is not going to seem important at all when we stand before the Lord. And when a crisis comes, you're reminded of how valuable the more important things, how invaluable your relationship with your family is. 
you'll, you'll rethink and you'll see clearly how valuable your relationship with God is in those crisis situations. And so um, then, number four, to crisis also causes us to reestablish our principles. You'll notice that all the land in Egypt came under the authority of the throne. Now Pharaoh, with Joseph as the uh, second in command, really Joseph was doing all the work, controlling everything. It was under his control, under the throne's uh, control, except for the land that, and the possessions that belonged to the priests. Joseph was unwilling to take over sacred things, and uh, for they were more important than uh, the immediate crisis. And so when we're thrown into a crisis moment, we will learn really what is sacred, what is uh, uh, more important. We'll find out what, what we can and what we cannot live without. If someone was to walk up to you today and say, listen, um, you change all your beliefs or I'm going to take your life. Well, now, if you're talking about the kind of car I drive, I say, okay, I'll drive, I'll, I'll drive a Ford the rest of my life. I, yeah, I'll drive whatever car. Uh, I, I might even drive one of those, I, why they call it a smart car, I don't know. I, to me, it's a little bug of a car. But, you know, what I'm saying is that's not that important. But if they say, no, you must deny Christ, so I say, well, pull the trigger now because I'm not going to do that. You see, there are, what is it you'll, you're willing to die for? What is it that um, is most important in your life? When we're in a crisis, that's when it becomes clear. Sometimes it's a funeral. It kind of helps us, it gets our mind thinking correctly because we realize the shortness of life. We realize that, that uh, uh, we're not going to be living forever. We realize that we're not uh, invincible. I was talking to a man just yesterday whose son was baptized here back in the 90s. I baptized that boy. He was about, I think, 11 or 12. Well, I cannot remember the exact time that they disappeared, moved away, but uh, that boy just died in June or July um, because of alcohol. You see, he got away from God, got away from going to church. And it's a sad thing, but it's when we are in those crisis situations where we are thinking more clearly than we ever think before. And so you can thank God for those crises. It does have a, a, a way of bringing us to where we should be. So what is it that you just won't sell, that you will not give up? And a, a, a crisis reveals those things to you that are most important. And you see, uh, the, the crisis of life, they don't make us but they do have the power to reveal what we're made of and um, what we value. Kind of like the, uh, was it Matthew chapter 7, where the wise man built his house upon the rock? And the foolish man, what did he build his house upon? The sand. But, but to look at the houses, they were identical. There was no difference. You say, boy, what a beautiful home. It wasn't until the storm came and the rain began to come. And the house on the rock stood firm but the one on the sand went flat, as the little song says, and could not stand. That's, it was the storm that revealed what the house, the foundation of the house was, was and, and revealed what that house was truly made of. You see, it's the storm that comes into your life that's going to reveal who you really are. 
what your foundation really is. If it's God or not. You see, the storm, the crisis has a way of doing that. So if you put your life on the shifting sands of this world, then the crisis is going to, or the storm is going to destroy your life. But if your life is built on Jesus Christ, there's not a storm in the world that's going to rock that. Oh, I, I mean, we'll go through the storm, but that relationship is sure. We are on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and we will uh, go through any storm that comes our way. I've seen people that have been shaken by the winds of adversity, the trials that have come in. I mean, people that have been brought to their knees because of the pain and the sorrow and, the, and, and difficulties of life. And, and we, maybe many of you have been through something like that. But you didn't, you didn't uh, get washed away in the storm. You came through that even stronger than you were before. Maybe some of you are still going through something right now. And boy, you feel like you're about to go under. You feel like this is too much for you to handle. I want you to uh, keep your eyes upon the Lord because when you come through that, you will be stronger. You'll be a better person for the Lord Jesus Christ because of your faith in him. But others who have nothing, who, have, who are trusting in the changing principles of this world, and they're going to be washed away in the hard hardships of life, in the crisis situations. So why did Joseph thrive when others around him failed? He saw every moment in his life as a God moment. You see, Joseph had the right attitude, the right perspective. So he realized that God was at work in and around him through every situation that he faced, being hated by his brothers, cast into that pit, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, all unjustly. But Joseph knew God's in control. God's will be done. He just trusted God through it all. And I, I used to think of Joseph kind of like a basketball. You throw that basketball down, it bounces up every time. And, and that's the way Joseph was. They tried to knock him down, but he just bounced up. Not because of Joseph, but because of who he trusted in. So you and I have the same God that we serve. And so in everything Joseph did, he sought to honor God. That's what we need to do. In good times, in hard times, we live for God. Someone said that the hardest part of the Christian life was living it. Yeah, I guess that, that's a, a pretty true statement, amen? It is the hardest part. We can talk about it all we want, but when it... When the rubber meets, where the rubber meets the road, where, where we start living it out on our daily basis, it's not always easy. It's a real struggle to bring our life under his authority, his control. And so maybe you, you've experienced that. It's, it's a real struggle uh, to keep our purpose, our priorities, our principles in life in line with God. And it doesn't just come natural. I think, uh, again, you can probably relate. But you know what? I find it's worth every effort. I find it's worth every effort to try, to strive, to be what God wants me to be. Yes, it's a struggle. Yes, it may be hard. Yes, it seems like we're, a, we're going against the stream, and we are. But it's worth it, and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So as you look at your life right now, 
Can you honestly say that everything you have is under his control? Everything you are is under his control. His will be done. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you obey the Lord?